Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Today's guest obtained his bachelor's degree from the University of Southern Indiana. He is currently in Spain, where he's obtaining his master's degree in global and international studies, focusing on nationalism and conflict management. He earned a $40,000 global grant scholarship from Rotary District 6580, which encompasses Southern Indiana. To earn this scholarship, his plan of study and career commitment aligns with one of the six areas of the focus of the Rotary Foundation, specifically peace and conflict prevention slash resolution. Today's guest was endorsed for the scholarship by the Evansville Morning Rotary Club. He was selected by a panel of 13 Rotarians from clubs in District 6580. The title of this episode is Your Dream Can Become a Reality. Please join me in welcoming Cameron Davidson to Embers and Wind. Welcome, Cameron. Hi, thank you for having me. So when and how did you first learn about Rotary? So it's actually kind of funny. The, the first time I heard about Rotary, of course, before I knew what it was, I kind of just thought it was a club of just older people <laughs> who uh, just, you know, hung out and would have conversations. So the very first time I actually heard of Rotary and had an experience with Rotary was when I was a sophomore in high school. My English teacher had encouraged me to participate in a, the four-way speech contest that our local Rotary Club was hosting, and the grand prize was $100. So 15-year-old me thought, wow, $100, what, what can I not do with $100? So of course, I signed up to participate, and I ended up coming in first place. Uh, and this was like the very first experience that I had with the Rotary Club. Uh-huh. So what is the Rotary four-way test? The Rotary four-way test is kind of like this motto that Rotarians and people associated with the Rotary Club follow. And it's essentially um, like a guide that guides your actions and your thoughts and what you say. And basically, it's just ensuring that everything that you say or do is true. It's fair to everyone concerned. It builds goodwill and better friendships. And it's beneficial to everybody concerned. Excellent. You won this Rotary Speech Contest. Can you tell us more about your story about this speech competition and what it felt like to win it? <laughs> yeah, sure. So when I started writing my speech, I had to talk about how the four-way test was embodied in my own life. And I remember the very first draft of the speech I wrote was just a very generic speech that you could find anywhere on the internet. And I was talking to my English teacher about it because she was helping me. And she goes, you know, Cameron, the speech isn't bad, but it's just not, you know, specific to you. And I thought, okay, what's specific to me that could embody the four-way test? 
So at this time, when I was 15, I was really into reading. I loved fiction. I loved books. And I thought of my favorite book series, which was Harry Potter. So oh, I decided, wow. you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And I wrote a speech about how the four-way test presents itself in literature, specifically Harry Potter, and how I, as a fan, was able to see that and was able to take those lessons that I've learned from that book series and apply it to my own life. So it was kind of risky because, um, you know, you probably don't hear many speeches about Harry Potter, but it ended right. up being worth it because I thought... I I think the Rotarians really liked it. I mean, I won, so. <laughs> so what is RILA? So RILA is a leadership um, kind of program for young people. It stands for Rotary Youth Leadership Awards. After I finished in first place in the speech contest, my Salem, my local Salem Rotary Club, they suggested that I attend this RILA workshop. And basically this, is, this workshop is to build the leadership skills of young people and to kind of connect them to other young people who are interested in making a change in the world or in their communities or really any way that they're involved. So I went to RILA when I was, I believe I was 16. This was right after I finished the speech contest. Mm -hmm. And I met so many amazing young people that I still keep in contact with today. Um, I met, it was the first time I met students from other countries, and these friends that I made were essential to me kind of gaining a more global awareness and thinking about the world uh, as a big place filled with different people, different cultures, different languages, rather than just the community in southern Indiana that I was accustomed to, where I grew up my whole mm -hmm. life. So would it be fair to say that changed your life? It would definitely be fair to say that it changed my life because it absolutely did. I remember when my mom uh, and dad dropped me off at Ryla, I was so nervous because I, I don't know, I, I'm always nervous when I have to make new friends and talk to people I don't know. Um, and then when they picked me up a few days later, they said it was like I was a changed person. I had all these crazy ideas of how I wanted to change the world and all these things I wanted to try. Uh, and so it was basically Ryla that encouraged me to seek out a study abroad program and a program that would let me leave the U.S., uh, experience a different culture, and try to learn a new language along the way. <laughs> and then you subsequently participated as a Rotary Exchange student, correct? Yes. So right after RILA, I applied for the Rotary Youth Exchange program. I believe this was 2016, 2016 or 2017. And I was sent to Mexico, uh, where I lived for a whole year. And again, this was a huge, huge uh, monumental um, event in my life that really shaped the way that I see the world. And it shaped my entire life, basically. <laughs> And how did it change you? I think the mo in the most important way that it changed me was that it taught me to look at people from around the world and to really try to understand who they are, where they come from, and what their life is like and how their lives are different than mine. So when I went to Mexico, I was overwhelmed beyond belief with all the differences in culture, with the differences in language, especially. I, it was insane for me because I had taken classes in Spanish, but I did not speak Spanish at all. I think that really the only thing I could say was, uh, can I use the bathroom? So that was the phrase that I was most comfortable with. Um, and so when I got to Mexico, 
I learned that the world is so vast and that there are so many people who think about things differently and see things differently. And I think more than anything, I learned to appreciate those differences. Whereas at first it was something that was intimidating and scary. It later became something that I really appreciated and it kind of grew this desire within me to meet as many different people as I can and to learn about as many different cultures as I can. And does this relate to your topic of study, what you're studying now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I got my bachelor's degree in political science and Spanish studies. And then I applied for this master's program in Spain, where, as you said, I'm studying uh, global studies with a concentration in nationalism and conflict management. So when you look at nationalism and you look at conflict management and you look at all of the different uh, ethnic, religious, political conflict that's happening around the world, a lot of it goes back to culture and it goes back to how these different groups of people perceive the world and perceive their place in the world. So in order to really understand these conflicts and more importantly, in order to try to come up with solutions for these conflicts, you have to be able to put yourself in the position of other people and to try to see the world through their perspective. And would it be fair to say that the perspective you gained from being in Mexico was quite different than the perspective in the United States? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Mexico, in my opinion, is such a beautiful country. Culturally, mm -hmm. they have such a rich culture. The people are so kind. The food is incredible. I've never stopped talking about Mexican food and I miss it every day. I wish I could go back and keep eating it. But yeah, it definitely helped me to gain a perspective that was different than what I was used to as a young kid from Southern Indiana who grew up in a rural community, moving to a different country where there were different cultural practices, different ideas about different things. It definitely helped me gain that new perspective. I know somebody who's in Rotary today, and he's probably pushing 60 years old. And he was wow. once a foreign exchange student, just yeah. like you. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible to think about how much Rotary has an impact on people's lives and not just, you know, my generation, but generations before and generations to come. And this is why I love the scholarship program that I'm on. I love Ryla. I love the Rotary Youth Exchange because Rotary has the unique ability to invest in the new generations, to give them the tools that they need to become citizens of a world, not even just one single state or one single country, but really global citizens. And I think that's phenomenal. And I think that's something that all organizations, especially ones that are focused on service, should dedicate themselves to. So I'm going to ask you to dig deeper into your story about how you became interested in nationalism conflict management. Okay, well, I would say that most of my experiences come from how I grew up. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a very loving family. I was always given everything I needed. I was pushed to try different things and to really figure things out about myself. But I also saw a little bit of an uglier side to my community. I saw that a lot of communities, particularly Latino communities where I live, were kind of pushed to the side and were kind of looked at as other people and as different people. And I didn't like that. Um, I remember growing up, I had a student in my first grade class who was from Mexico, and he didn't speak very good English, of course, because he was still very young. And he was always treated differently than the rest of us. He was 
kind of pushed off to the side, given something to play with. And he was never really a part of the group. So I kind of started thinking about, you know, what implications could this have for people? If you grow up not feeling like you're a part of the group or not feeling like you're being included, what kind of feelings can that kind of uh, manifest within you? And then more importantly, how do those feelings translate to action? Like what attitudes do you have towards the place that you live if you don't even feel like you're a part of the place that you live? So when I study nationalism, you know, we focus a lot on your national identity, what it means to be American, what it means to be Spanish or Italian or Russian or wherever you come from. And when you look at the definition of nationalism and your own national identity, you really have to think about what people does that include? And more importantly, what people does that exclude? Because that's where we see a lot of the conflict. When we see groups of people who aren't a part of a national identity, when we see groups of people who are intentionally excluded from that national identity, that's where we see a lot of conflict. And I think that I didn't really come to this realization. Um, even now, just talking about it, I realized a lot of these thoughts I had when I was younger and how they've manifested into my life right now. But I really think that that is where I started thinking about this concept as who we are as a nation and who do we include and who do we exclude. And you're currently being hosted by Rotary District 2201 in Spain. Yes. Please explain more what this means. So basically, with my scholarship program, I kind of act as an ambassador a little bit from District 6580 back in Indiana to District 2201 here in Spain. So I've met with them a few times. It's very difficult because of the COVID-19 restrictions and the lockdowns. The Rotary Club here in Spain, specifically in my city in Salamanca, has really been affected. A lot of the projects that they had planned came to a halt. A lot of the meetings stopped and a lot of it went virtual. And so unfortunately, the Rotary Club here in Salamanca has lost a lot of members and they're very, they're very much interested in trying to find more. So on the few occasions that I've met with them, we've had a lot of discussions on how to reach out to new members and more importantly, how to reach out to younger people, because those are the people that are going to grow up and essentially be the future of Rotary. So my scholarship helps me get to know them. It helps me share my ideas with them and they share their ideas with me. And it's kind of like a cultural exchange more than anything. It's very interesting when we meet for dinner and they ask me questions about the U.S. and we talk about all the different stereotypes that they have about Americans. And, and then I discuss some of the stereotypes that we have about different people. It's a very interesting conversation. And it's, it's really cool to just be able to share our ideas for Rotary because even though we come from different communities, we are all unified by our interest uh, in Rotary mm -hmm. and our interest sure. in putting service above ourselves. So what do you see yourself doing after you obtain your master's degree? That is a great question. Uh, and that's a question I ask myself a lot. <laughs> One thing is, is for certain, I would like to return to the U.S. I love leaving, finding new places and meeting new people. But I know at the end of the day, my home is back in the U.S. where my family is, where my community is. So I would like to go back home. I'm trying to find work right now with different organizations that are like NGOs or service organizations. So recently, I've started volunteering with an organization here in Spain called ACOGE. And basically, 
This organization works with refugees and asylum seekers here in Spain from the Middle East, uh, from Latin America. Mm -hmm. And what they do is help them become integrated members of society so that they have all the access to education, they have access to a home, they have access to language services. And that is a message that I really want to resonate is integrating people and bringing people together and unifying people, especially like vulnerable communities like refugees and asylum seekers. So to answer your question, I would like to find work doing that. I would like to find work working with vulnerable groups, maybe in the US, maybe in other parts of the world. But I think at the end of the day, that's really where my passion is. Thank you for sharing that. Now, it's been a while since you earned the Rotary Global Grant Scholarship. Tell us about what it was like when you discovered that you won. Well, oh man, I was very nervous. I'm naturally a nervous person, especially when I have to talk to people. So I remember before I submitted my application, I was speaking with Jim Bright, who's a fantastic individual. And he was giving me lots of advice on how to make my application. He was talking to me about interviews. And when I went into the interview, I was very nervous, but I was immediately put at ease because it's just that really nice spirit that exists in Rotary, where you always feel like people are interested in you, where they want to get to know you. They want to mm -hmm. hear your dreams, your goals, your ambitions. So during the interview, they asked me questions about why do I want this scholarship? What are my goals for the future? And it felt very comfortable. And I was very happy talking to them. And it kind of helped me also reflect on my own personal ambitions and my own goals. So I remember it was that very same day I had gotten a call from Jim Bright and he said, well, Cameron, I have good news. He said, we've decided that we want to select you as our next Rotary Global Grant Scholar. And of course, I was beyond uh, excited. I was, <laughs> yes. I was elated and it felt wonderful. And more than anything, I just I felt proud that Rotary saw something in me. Um, I felt proud that they believe that I will do something good with my life and with my future. Mm -hmm. And if anything, that faith that they have in me has pushed me harder to try my best to achieve my goals and to find some way to make the world a better place. You definitely are making your dream a reality. Tell <laughs> us trying. more about that. I think that as a young kid that comes from Salem, Indiana, which don't get me wrong, I love my hometown. It's a great place. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to have big dreams and big ambitions, especially when you want to go to another country or you want to impact the world and not just, you know, your own community. So I think that from a young age, I always really had these big ambitions and these big dreams for myself. And as I mentioned earlier, I was lucky enough to be born into a family that as crazy as my ambitions always sound, they're always very supportive. And as hard as it is for them and for me to be separated for such a long time, I always get messages from them saying, you know, we love you, we support you, we hope everything's going good. And so I feel like making your dreams a reality comes a lot down to support and who you've surrounded yourself with. So every day, if I ever get asked, oh, how did you get to where you are? It's always my family. My family has always been the people that have pushed me. And I know, even though we get, have a lot of disagreements on a lot mm -hmm. of things, I always know that they have my back and that they're always going to be in my corner. And mm -hmm. so I would say the biggest factor in making your dreams a reality is your support system. Now, what about the service above self and how does that relate? Well, I've always, you know, I'm not even going to say I always have been someone who puts service above self because it really wasn't until I was exposed to Rotary that I even thought about helping other people. 
when I was a kid, my grandma, she always talked to us about community service and she would always invite us, for example, ring the bell for the Salvation Army outside uh -huh. of Walmart or outside of the hardware store. <laughs> That, you know, even though it's a small action, it was something that planted a seed in my head that thought, when I wake up every day, am I only thinking about what I'm doing for myself or am I thinking about what I'm doing for other people? So when I got back from Mexico and I started studying in Evansville at the University of Southern Indiana, I really tried to find ways to put service above myself. One of those ways was through an organization that I ran with a friend of mine called The Thirst Project. And so this was a campus organization that her and I co-led together. And basically what we did was we raised funds to provide uh, wells and to provide facilities for clean drinking water in communities where there are none. So a lot of the wow. communities that affected are in uh, communities in Africa and Asia. Um, mm -hmm. And so this was an organization that we really believed in. This was something mm -hmm. that we thought this is a great way to spend our time. And uh -huh. even though our own local chapter of the Thirst Project in Evansville was very small, I'm very proud of the work that I did with her. I mean, in about a year, in the year that we ran it together, we raised about $2,000 for this organization, uh -huh. which when we did the math, we kind of calculated that this could provide uh, clean drinking water to over 15 families. Wow. And I'm proud of that. Um, I know it's not something huge, but it's definitely the, it was definitely one of the first experiences I had with putting uh -huh. service above myself. So because of that experience, I'm constantly looking for ways that I can involve myself and I'm looking for ways that I can be a part of solutions mm -hmm. to a lot of issues around the world. How can someone listening to this podcast make their dream a reality? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> if I had to give someone advice on how to make your dream a reality, <clears throat> I guess I would say never give up. And as overused as that is and as... Um, corny, I guess, as it sounds, it has a lot of truth in it. I remember when I was in college, I was really interested in working for the government. Um, I'm not sure why. I think that's changed a little bit recently, but at that time I was interested in it. And I thought there's this really cool internship where students can work in foreign embassies for the Department of State. And I said, that sounds amazing. I would love to try that because that sounds like everything I've always wanted to do. And so I applied for this internship and the very first time I was rejected. And of course I was devastated and I felt a lot of insecurities. I was like, it's because I'm not smart enough. It's because I don't have the best grades. It's because I haven't done enough. I haven't involved myself enough. And I really just thought about giving up on it. And I remember having a conversation with my friend and she was like, Cameron, you can't just give up because you didn't get it the first mm -hmm. time. She's like, think of all the people in the world who have to do things continuously before they even see yeah. results. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, you're right. I was like, let me apply again. So I applied again the next year and that year I actually got it. And of course I was very excited. And that was the first time where I thought, you know what? She's right. If you really want to do something, if you really have a dream that you'd like to achieve, you, you just have to go for it at all costs. And you just can't give up because you don't make it the first time. Because unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. And it's not always easy to achieve what you want to do. You just have to keep trying and keep trying until you get it. What reminds me of what you're talking about is a lesson you learned as a baby when you learn how to walk. Yeah, exactly. You didn't give up and you're walk today. Mm -hmm. And you probably fell a few times, probably more than twice. Yeah. When you learned how to walk. And if you're like me and you're a clumsy individual, 22 years later, you're still falling down, but you still, you still <laughs> got to get up. Yes. <laughs> what would you be doing now if you hadn't earned the scholarship for the global study? Another great question. 
I, I think about this a lot, actually. And this is not something I would recommend to anyone trying to achieve their dreams, but it's something I did. And it was very risky. I kind of put all my eggs in one basket. I was like, this scholarship is for me, it's it. This is it. If I don't get this, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to put all my focus and all my energy into getting this scholarship. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, it worked out. Um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, for some people, it doesn't, which is why I recommend at least having a plan B before you make a big decision mm -hmm. like that. But when I think about what I would be doing if it wasn't for this scholarship, I like to think that I would be finding some way to further myself to develop myself as an individual, as an academic, because I'm someone who's very passionate about education. Uh, that's why I'm doing a master's program because I really enjoy research and I love uh, learning new things. But I would also hopefully be finding ways to continue involving myself because this scholarship has provided a lot of opportunities for me to volunteer and to do service projects. But this scholarship isn't the only way to do that. So if I hadn't have won the scholarship, I would like to think that I would be at home trying to find some way to involve myself in my community. So you really had a plan B? Well, not it wasn't exactly fleshed out, but uh -huh. I had a basic idea of what I wanted to do <laughs> yes. if I didn't get the scholarship. How does Rotary fit into your vision for your future? Well, I have always seen myself being involved with an organization like Rotary. I like to think that for the rest of my life, it will be an organization that I continue to work with. And it's hard to believe that I won't because of all the amazing opportunities that they've given me personally, mm -hmm. and because of all of the amazing work that I see them do around the world. So because of the connections that I've made in Rotary, I really think that this is something I will continue to do for the rest of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I really hope that in the future, when I'm older and hopefully have a stable job and not studying anymore, uh -huh. it'll be something that I'm able to invest a lot more of my energy into and a lot more of my time into, because I've mm -hmm. seen the great work that Rotary's done. And mm -hmm. that's something that I want to be a part of when I'm older. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What guidance do you have for a high school freshman who happens to be catching this episode? I would say um, you're still pretty young, <laughs> so you're going to have a lot of crazy ideas about what you want to do with your life. I would say no matter what people tell you or no matter how unattainable your dreams or goals seem, that you should always go for it no matter what. You should trust the adults in your life, especially in the school. I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't trust in my English teacher or my mm -hmm. guidance counselors because they were the ones who were helping me to come up with plans to achieve all of these crazy goals I had. So I would say most importantly to trust in the adults in your life, but also to push yourself out of your comfort zone whenever possible. I have found that in my own life that pushing myself outside of my comfort zone has provided me with so many benefits. It's helped me grow as a person and it's helped me really connect with people around the world. So Talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to, go to places you wouldn't normally go to, and just have experiences that might seem crazy <laughs> and make you uncomfortable. Because when we're uncomfortable, a lot of times that's when we grow as people. And that's mm -hmm. ultimately what helps us develop throughout our entire life. Now, there's somebody older that's listening to this episode too, Cameron. Would you change <laughs> your guidance for them or would you still encourage them to do the same thing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I encourage people of all ages to do things that make them uncomfortable. And I always hear, when I, especially when I talk to older people about my experiences and about traveling around the world and learning a new language, 
they're always like, oh, I wish I would have done that when I was a kid. It's like, yeah, I mean, you missed an opportunity, but you still have a life. You still have right. the ability to, to travel. You don't have to be uh, 16, 17 years old to do this. So yeah, I encourage everyone, you know what, especially old people, I'll say that. I'll, I'll say I encourage people, especially older people to push themselves out of their comfort zones. And I know it's harder for them because they've lived a life and they feel comfortable in what they've done. Um, and they're like, oh, I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I could never go to Japan or I could never go to Mexico. Yes, you can. And you definitely should. Now, is this your first podcast episode? Yeah, this is the first time I've ever participated in making a podcast. <laughs> so would it be fair to say that you're role modeling what you want? You're encouraging listeners to do? A lot of when, when I think about the words I'm saying and what I'm talking about, I think about what I wish I would have heard when I was young. I mean, of course, I had a lot of support, as I mentioned, but I never really had someone who could give me the exact advice that I needed to just go out there, seize the day, make your dreams a reality. I wish I would have had someone telling me stuff like this. So I'm hoping as I'm speaking that someone out there is listening and someone is thinking, huh, maybe I can also accomplish these crazy goals that I have. Now, there's somebody who wants to stay connected with you, Cameron. How can they stay connected with you? Well, they are more than welcome to find me on social media. Uh, I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page. I try to post a lot about um, different events that I'm working on. I try to stay updated with pictures. Let's see. I also have an email. I love when people reach out with any questions. So they can email me with any questions they have. My email is Davidson, my, like my last name, CA2015 at Gmail. So any questions you have or anything you want to talk about, I love talking to people about, about life in general. So really, really anything. Uh -huh. Davidson CA2015 at Gmail. 2015. Okay. Yep. I will try it and then I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear from people. How can someone learn more from you? I don't know. Sometimes I still I still struggle with the idea that I might be a role model to people. And I think it's because I know I'm 22 years old, but sometimes I feel like I'm still like 12. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how did I get to this point in my life? How am I, how am I doing all these crazy things? I guess if there's anything I want someone to learn from me, it is going back to that message that I already said is to get out of your comfort zone. Because you can learn a lot by my story and listening to what I've done, but the most that you're going to learn will come from yourself. It's going to come from your own experiences and it's going to come from you just trusting in yourself to do crazy things and to learn from it. I believe what you're saying is true. And yeah. I can also picture a listener who hears what you're saying, but they yeah. still have a doubt within themselves. Well, that's something that's not never going to change. I constantly have doubts every single day. <laughs> I doubt. I'm always like, am I really um, across the world right now? Am I really going to finish this program? Am I really working in this organization? Like, what am I doing? I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I just kind of go with it because that's always led me to good places, especially when you trust your gut. Doubts are common and they're normal. And especially when you're making big decisions about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, you're always going to have doubts about it. But if you can get past the doubt just a little bit and start to see the benefits that it has for your life to try new things, then I think you're going to feel a lot more secure and a lot more confident in your decision to just get out there and to try new, new experiences. I believe what you're saying is true, Cameron. And yet I can still see somebody who's hesitating 
And if they're on the fence, are you open to talking with them and having a conversation with them? Can they connect with you on Zoom, for example? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would encourage anyone to do that. I think that sometimes you just need someone to talk to, to ask questions and to just listen Uh to you when you have feelings of doubt. And if that's going to help someone try something new in their life, I would love Uh that for sure. Thank you for that. Do you have a benevolent call to action you want to invite listeners to take? Yeah, I do. And I think, so I think about my message. I think about everything I've been talking about and at the core of it, and I probably sound like a broken record, but at the core of it is always just pushing yourself, always pushing yourself to meet new people, to try new things, to do something that you would normally never do because doing that will help you learn a lot about yourself but more importantly it will help you learn about other people and when we learn about other people we become more aware of how our actions affect everyone else thank you for sharing that and thank you for being a guest on embers and wind thank you so much it's been it's been wonderful being able to talk to you and share my story and i really hope that it does plant some seeds in some people's heads and uh, get them thinking about ways that they can become more global citizens i guess And we want to thank you for joining this conversation and listening to Cameron today as a guest on Emperor's Wind. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.